Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. I'm delighted to introduce today Orion Mendes, who is a business development manager with vast experience of evolving businesses in a number of places in the world. Orion has great experience of working with decision makers and working in what she describes as fiercely competitive markets to achieve a win-win outcome. Welcome, Orion. It's a huge pleasure to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you too, Martin. Thank you for inviting me. So I've got a, a great number of questions. I could I could talk to you all day about business growth and that whole variety of different things in that area. Based on your, your experience as a business development manager, what do you think is really the key to business growth? What is it that makes a business grow? Well, business development is always about matching a defined need. And that defined need could be self discovered or it could be from different influences within the market space and then that need gets matched against capabilities and capabilities whether they are within an organization already existing or they might be required for development within an organization but once you identify that push and pull that is really where the growth happens oftentimes growth can be driven by trying to keep up with what's happening in the marketplace it can be driven by external factors policy or compliance shifts, competition, you know, what the competitors are doing and you're trying to innovate, it does create gaps between what your what your current capabilities are and what your capabilities need to become. And this is where um, I believe best practice emerges from is when you have, once that gap starts to grow between what you're delivering and what the market is demanding. So it's that need and the capabilities you're trying to always match together. I think that one of the key factors in determining what to focus on comes from keeping your finger on the pulse. And that's so vital, isn't it? It's really interesting. One of of the sort of contrasts that I've seen a lot is in Eastern Europe. So in, in Eastern Europe, under socialism, the match to sort of supply for demand was done by the local planner, wherever they happen to be, a town planner or whoever. And you can imagine the demands on that person, you know, were phenomenal. Well, how many builders do you need today? And how many window makers do you need today? And how many glaciers? Well, it all depended upon, you know, who was influencing the town planner, of course. So when in a capitalist system where it's simply price that, you know, affects who's entering, who's leaving, etc., it's in a way simpler to understand. You know, it's just price, but, you know, it's still complex. But of course, that matching is so vital, isn't it? And we, we do that matching and it's almost like breathing in and out for an organisation. But actually, as you say, keeping your finger on the pulse is difficult. And it's, it's a fascinating balance in terms of, you know, what information do you look at? What do you follow? What trends do you follow? You know, how do you find, you know, what's, what's important to you to make your business grow? I believe that the drivers of change are becoming a lot more complex. Price certainly is one factor, but we're entering a stage now where other factors are starting to play into it. So things like considerations on sustainability. Are you making an impact on our future state? The, the voices of our children and the next generation and where the planet will be is very much going to be controlled by the decisions that we're making now and where we invest and how we operate in this, in this new paradigm. That's one example. But other things, experience, customers, how they're responding to the way that you're treating them. Are they having a good experience when they visit your digital interface? Are you finding that your interface is secure? Well, the many projects and stuff that I've been working on and have had the privilege of being close to, because we, within the publishing space in the area I, I work in, we oftentimes will rely upon best practice. And merging best practices where there has been that growing gap. And in the growing gap, whether it's innovation, compliance, policy, or even just audience changes, 
what what happens is people will innovate and discover new paths. Those are the pioneers of change. Once they go and look at all the new paths, they go and explore this new territory and they try different things. Once something works, they'll come back and say, hey, we found a way and this way works. Those early adopters of new ways of working are now sharing their best practices back with the community. And that community of voices is now what we will publish and create content on so that a lot of other business leaders can actually listen to the signal and say, right, the pioneers have gone over the mountain. They've failed on that path. So we don't want to take that path. But we found that this path works better. It takes six days to get across the mountain. And you'll find someone else will come back and say, no, I found a way it takes one day. But there's these risks on the, on the journey. So I think it's all about that sense making and listening to the early adopters and what they're bringing back and creating that community of best practice of what is safe and what is risky. It is, isn't it? And as you said, the sort of analogy to a mountain is a, is a, is a really good one because when we were sort of back in the 40s, everybody thought that Mount Everest was pretty much insurmountable. And then Sir Edmund Hillary and possibly one before him made it to the top. There was, there's, there's a bit of doubt about whether you know, there wasn't someone who made it to the top before Edmund Hillary, but he didn't come down alive, unfortunately. So Edmund Hillary certainly did in the 50s. Ever since then, there have been a whole lot of people who've gone up the mountain. And I think on one single day, there were well over 200 people made it to the top of Everest on a day. And that was a mountain that 60 years beforehand people had said oh no no you're not going to be able to get to the top of that and it's a similar thing with technology isn't it that you know you're we're, we're looking at technology now that people would have said even 10 years ago mm, that can't be done no 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 not possible not possible to store that much data in a, that size of space not possible to to send that much data across a you know a link from your own house and yet we're doing it the technology will move on people's ability to do things will move on and in a lot of ways what's limiting us is simply what's in our brain isn't it it's about how can you encourage people to think about things differently let's let's take that mountain analogy and take it on a step further by the way that is also one of the meanings of my name is mountaineer ah <laughs> um, so, the, so there you go excellent a suitable analogy yeah one of the things that you have to do before you climb mount everest is you have to stop at all these base camps on the way up and you have to spend a few days getting over the altitude illness but you have to adapt to that environment you have to be ready for that next you know leg of the journey to go up the next few thousand feet you have to be fit enough. Not It doesn't mean that because someone went up Everest, that everyone is capable of going up Everest. So this is one of the things that you have to also take the temperature. You know, that question you asked me in the beginning about how do you keep an eye on the trend? You have the external factors. You have the news of who's doing what and how, they, how they're doing things. Just because someone went over the mountain doesn't mean that everyone must go over the mountain. We have to evaluate within our organization. Is that where we want to be? Is that what our customers are asking of us? What purpose are we serving? Is it to go over the mountain or is it to make camp here? As you kind of go through that sense checking, you know, we, I've had the privilege of working on a few projects in the last few months, which are looking at readiness of an organization. You know, if you're going to be doing a big digital transformation, what does that look like for your organization? What do you need to have in place? Are you stable enough first? You know, it's like a medical check. You don't just go under the knife because you need to have the operation. You say, are you fit enough to survive the operation? And I think that organizations need to take that internal metric of their organization before they make any of these big shifting decisions. So there is external factors you consider. There's internal factors you consider, all within the lens of the capability of the organization. And as an organization starts to address how they will grow, growth can bring you revenue, but growth also brings costs. 
as you start to grow your business, you have to identify what gaps are you then creating by having made the decision to grow. So there's a lot of things that really do need to be considered when working through this. And the lessons learned from other businesses and other instances offer great value in that business best practice or good practice. What have others done? What are the lessons learned? And I think that's one of the valuable points of this podcast is that you, you speak about the lessons learned from others and you're drawing those lessons and applying it to how you then will approach growth within your organization. How do you then consider the needs matching to the capability you're trying to build or the capability that you have as capacity. Yes, absolutely. And I think, as you say, one of the most important things is to learn those lessons. When Richard Branson launched his airline, he, he didn't simply go and rent an aircraft and start work. He actually sat down to have lunch with Freddie Laker, who'd just gone bust running an airline, doing exactly the same thing, doing the, the, the Atlantic route. And he said to Freddie Laker, so what, what would you do if you were starting over again? And he said, I wouldn't bow to BA. I wouldn't let them push me around. I would stand up and I would say, no, that's not right. And I would call out what's what's happening and I would just absolutely just keep on fighting. And that was just what Branson did. I think, as you say, learning the lessons from those people who didn't make it over the mountain or weren't in a position to get to base camp, et cetera, that is so vital, isn't it? You've grown businesses from almost nothing up to sort of to scale. What do you think some of those lessons are? What's the, what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned, do you think? Having operated in different industries, so I've worked in everything from agriculture to compressed air engineering to clothing industry. I've worked in the publishing and trade. Through the publishing trade, I've gotten to know about the digital interfaces, the whole world of service management. And as I navigate all these different industries, you know, they're all the same. They all have very basic needs. What is the thing that you're delivering that people find value in? Because that's what keeps you in business. That's what keeps the dollars coming through the door. That what gives you the reason to wake up in the morning and go and do the work. That demand that you that you're answering is where you achieve your value and how you maneuver your resources to achieve the outputs and the outcomes that you're you're doing within your organization it usually follows a cycle of you know creation of how you will take in that information, convert it into value, and then give it back to the customers at, at the end as an output. Each of those different things, it doesn't matter what industry it is, you know, this is where you have the greats like the theory of constraints, the goal, Phoenix project. They're trying to teach software lessons or manufacturing lessons from a different environment. So, you know, when they start to match what are common things in different industries, that's what I'm seeing is that it doesn't matter where you go in the world, a lot of the problems are actually the same. And if you're able to kind of simplify what am I trying to achieve here? What is the purpose of this effort that we're doing? How is this going to make it more efficient? How are we going to have growth? How am I going to reduce my costs whilst maximizing my, my outputs? What are the secret things that differentiates my product from the next product? You can even look at a very simple thing like a vegetable salad sitting on the side of the road. What makes them sell out of their vegetables every single day? Whilst two stalls down, there's another vegetable seller selling the same vegetables at the same price. But they're not selling out every day. They're not a difference in quality of product, but there might be a difference in quality of service. And it's all those things that you can take a lesson and you can apply into digital space. You can apply it into manufacturing. You can apply it in, across any business. When you make business seem simpler, see it through a simple way, it does make you approach things without all the noise. And at the end of the day, what will actually make a difference for your business? I think it should be keeping things simple. 
Yes, you're right about the overwhelm of advice. I'm continually bombarded by stuff. Every time I go to LinkedIn to, you know, to my inbox, there's someone wanting to sell me something. And, and it may be good. It may be maybe really useful stuff, but it also may not be. You're right. You know, this is one of the things that I struggle with in our space, you know, when we're dealing with best practice. And there are so many different ideas and concepts coming up from industry. You've got to ask yourself, whenever you're qualifying, whether this piece of best practice is better than the next piece of best practice, do I firstly, do I understand it? Is it easy to implement? What problem is it solving? How is this helping me move my needle? Is this an improvement activity? Or was this a sort of like a monitoring device? where, you know, it's a process, but that process is there to capture metrics or something. You need to actually qualify, what is this going to do for my organization? And what is this adding to our suite of understanding or knowledge or whatever it is? Because if you don't have that clarity, then it could just be noise. You've got to make sure that everyone is on the same page. If you don't have that, then obviously you're not making any progress. So thinking about an organization's purpose. So we've talked sort of previously about, you know, the, the central you know, purpose, obviously, of a in, a in a sort of conventional organization is to make money. But there's there's more than that. There's much more, isn't there? And it's important to think about what that real purpose is besides, you know, just, just making money. When you're looking to grow a business, what, what's your, your kind of approach to that kind of centering a business on its purpose? This opens an, a big door to the discussion around value. The value of an organization can be the dollars and cents. Okay, that's the, the, the sort of de facto view. It's, it's obvious that a business, in fact, a lot of businesses, that is the, the bottom line. Ultimately, the reason that they exist and they're able to make money is because of the value that their customers perceive because they're delivering whatever it is. They, they make biscuits and people love to eat biscuits. So that biscuit business makes money. It could be that you know they're delivering a service and that service people need it to function. We're using a service right now. We're probably using someone's broadband. It's taking a combination of things. But what people are actually wanting is to listen to this conversation. And all the other services that support this conversation are in existence because of the need for communication. Once you understand where you fit into the bigger picture and what purpose you're serving, do people need a bolt? Do they need a drill? Do they need a hold? No, they need the bolt to hold something up. It's not about they need a drill. They need a hole. They don't need the hole. They need the bolt. The bolt is then to... So it's all of those little actions that enable the final outcome. When a business evaluates its purpose, the government in this country is certainly looking at things like social value. That's been added into a business's purpose by legislation and policy. The reason that's been done is because actually that that is one of the values of, of, of having businesses in a country is that it creates employment, it creates infrastructure, it creates all of these other things that are not necessarily tangible on the bottom line. So they've made it so it's mandatory now. So all of those are things that businesses need to consider is like, what is their purpose? It least come down to what value they're delivering. Yes, as you say, and it, it makes sure that we get our kind of national goals met by expanding out and making it sort of mandatory that you, for example, train people. The the recent push in the UK towards apprenticeships has kind of filled the void that there used to be as a kind of nice to have to, to train people and a lot of people did. And gradually as things have got squeezed, there's been less interest in training. And so the government have kind of made it mandatory that essentially you're either taxed or you can pay that tax into a training fund to train your own people. It's, it's one or the other. It's a clever way of, of essentially encouraging behaviour that we need. And that, that behaviour is sort of essential for us all as a, as a community to, to continue to draw on the value that we expect from the, the environment. In fact, there is in the new procurement bill that's just been passed, 
that there is an entire section around social value and how it is going to be in, in, embedded into a lot of public sector contracting. So, you know, there's a there's an incredible amount of change that will be stimulated as a result of that activity that's going to drive value that are part of a business's purpose. If they don't have that in place, then they will be excluded from public procurement. But it's adding value for a whole community. And I think that's one of the things that businesses must never lose sight of is that to exist, they have to feed the ecosystem. Oftentimes, that community of voices and that community of resources is something that oftentimes gets forgotten when you have a purely financial focus. If you're going to focus purely on finances, you might do all your manufacturing offshore because salaries are cheaper elsewhere. But then there is other unintended costs that will start to impact your business. You might have a higher tax rate because you're now having to do other things in other areas. That ecosystem is very delicately balanced. And a lot of businesses are now being pushed by policy into providing value, not just on a bottom line. Yes, definitely. There's always been a delicate balance, actually. And it's interesting in my, my experience in the public sector, we were very much worrying about that kind of balance because if you if you lose your last expert in the in the UK on something in for example the defence business, then that's it. You've gone. You, you've got to go to somewhere abroad, and they're not necessarily going to get independent advice from somewhere abroad if you've lost your last expert. So the, there was always that balance of trying to maintain things, and it's interesting now that that's spreading out into the private sector. You've worked in a lot of different places. You've worked in a number of nations around the world. What do you think you've learned from your, your work across different countries that has, has really helped you? What do you think has, has sort of surprised you and things that you, you sort of draw on from that experience of working in, in different places across the world? A lot of the business views are the same, as in you'll have common threads around the way a business should be delivering value. However, I, I have appreciated the different models of the way things are approached. Coming from Africa, there is a very community viewpoint around the way that they would approach a problem. They would try to pool the resources to solve a, a problem together. And I've seen this with staff I've had in, in Africa. I find that to be quite that sense of community. They have a term for it in, in Southern Africa called Ubuntu, where it's a shared problem. And it's a shared solution to a problem. I find some of those different ways of thinking can be applied in how we're trying to build around best practice to achieve value. Best practice comes from the remembering that we don't operate in isolation of others. If we think about our employees and we're enabling them with education programs or things that improve capabilities, skills, and if those same employees then choose to do their careers in other parts of the industry, it actually means that you might be getting somebody who's got a skill from another business coming into your business. Now you're dealing with a, with a pool of professionals that will move and navigate between industry, carrying with them the lessons learned from one organization to another organization, bringing with them ideas for innovation, but also ideas of standardization. And that, that's a lesson learned that we can apply here. And I think there's many, many stories. You know, you think about the Japanese principles. What makes you love the work you do? Know, the principle of work-life balance. I might misquote it and I might say it wrong, but I think it was called Ikigai. What brings you joy? What brings you happiness in your place of work? And that sense of fulfillment and how you address it. Even if you think about lean ways of manufacturing, some of those principles came from other cultures and have been applied into a worldwide setting. And I think that's one of the things that businesses really need to consider when they are bringing in different concepts and different ideas is that it doesn't mean that it should be 
by road that it's applied. You have to sense check, is this right for us? Does this make sense for our organization? You know, organizations really need to be in tune with what their needs are and experiment with different ways of working to try to find something that is successful for them. Yes, indeed. And, and sometimes the market has to has to move on. I mean, it's there's the fascinating sort of story about Charles Babbage when he when he developed the he developed the calculator at first. And that that was a very popular thing. You know, everybody wanted a calculator to calculate. And then he built the I can never remember whether it was the analytical engine or the difference engine, but whichever one was the computer, the programmable one. And people said, so what does it do? He said, it does whatever you want it to do. You know, you can program it. I said, I don't want to do that. I want the calculator. And, and it's, you know, it's literally that at the time. And of course, gradually, we've come to appreciate that, oh, the computer does this, and it does this, and it does this. But actually, in that in that first instance, you know, the, the, the market is saying, no, we don't want that. No, no, no. What, 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 no, no, no. You know, so, in, so, so fascinating that, you know, in years to come, that would become a sort of revolutionary sort of kind of market changing system. But at the time, nobody could recognize it. And, and a similar thing happens that sometimes things are a little bit ahead of their time, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And also, it's a configuration of many parts. An organization is never, ever its own being. It's the sum of all its parts. And depending on the diversity within that organization, and also that diversity changes. What you have in 2024 will not be the same configuration that you had in 2020, for example. So there is a big difference in in external factors and internal factors. I think it may have been Marcus Aurelius that said, you never cross the same river twice. And although he may have been referring to it in a military sense, you know, if you think about it, the riverbed is always changing. The pebbles are moving along the, the ecosystem around it, what animals are near it, what fish are swimming through it at that particular time, what year, time of year it is, the level of the water. All of those things are in flux. And more so now when there's rapid change and innovation and competition, you have to be looking at the minute of where your organization is and have the willingness to adapt to change. Because if you have the willingness to adapt to change, that's wherein lies the opportunity for growth. Having the finger on the pulse, making sure that you understand what's going on and the ability to adapt rapidly. Arian, thank you so much. It's a fascinating conversation we've just had. I could talk to you all day about this. There's so many aspects of business development work that you've done over the years that are really incredibly interesting. Thank you. I've so much enjoyed our conversation. This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast. Thank you for listening.